Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series of messages is based on an intriguing teaching from the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. For more details, be sure to get a copy of Kevin's recently released commentary on the book of Ezekiel from Amazon in your region or as an immediate PDF download from the shop at kevinconnor.org. Father, we're just in your presence again this morning, not on our own merits, but through the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we come to share your word, we acknowledge our faith again that we believe this word is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be uh, thoroughly adjusted and thoroughly equipped to do the will of the Lord. Pray that you'll bless your word to our hearts, Father. We ask in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. I just want to read Ezekiel chapter 14 and just pick out the four verses that we've been looking at over the last number of weeks uh, in between our visiting ministry. So verse 14 of Ezekiel 14. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel and Job, were in it, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Verse 16. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters. They only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. Verse 18. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. And then verse 20, where we have the fourth mention of these three men. Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter, they shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. Pray that the Lord will bless his word to our hearts. Now, if you have not been here over the series that we've been sharing for several Sunday mornings on these three men, I'd like to encourage you to pick up the tapes uh, because we want to complete this series that we've been uh, sharing together. So just by way of a very brief review here, I just want to put uh, this on the overhead again. The three men that we've been looking at, Noah, Daniel, and Job, we've seen that uh, the condition in Ezekiel's time and God's foresaw judgments that were manifest in Ezekiel's time, so so parallel to what's happening in our world today. We looked at uh, why, uh, asked ourselves the question, why did God pick out these three men? And we saw that Noah was a preacher, Daniel was a prophet, and Job was a patriarch. And that each of these men are actually sort of uh, second coming men because when the Lord Jesus Christ came, we find that Jesus mentioned both Noah and Daniel and James mentioned Job. And that here we are in the last uh, days, the last of the last days. And actually all of these uh, second coming men, we might say, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And Jesus said, when you see the abomination spoken of by Daniel the prophet, uh, let him that readeth understand. And then James, he picks this up. And why don't we turn over to the reference in James, because we'll be looking at it in due time. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And I'd like to read verses 7 to 11. Each of these men are linked uh, in prophetically with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So James chapter 5 and verses 7 through to, um, I think, 11 will be okay. James 5 verse 7 through to 11. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So you see that the patience relative to the coming of the Lord and Job is linked up as an example of patience. Now I'd like you to turn over to the book of Job itself and we're going to be looking at a character this morning, Job. Let's turn to Job chapter 1. 
And let me read a few verses here, and as I always say, I don't make any apology for reading the Word of God, but I want to read the Word and then uh, get into uh, uh, preaching and teaching this morning. Job chapter 1. So we're looking at uh, Job this morning. We've looked at uh, Noah the preacher, Daniel the prophet, and we're going to be considering Job the patriarch. There was a man in the land of ours whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. How many would like to have ten in their family today? Not with the form of government that we've got. Uh, his substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses. That's uh, women donkeys, in case you didn't know. <laughs> uh, no, no reflection <laughs> of the women. And a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the East. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters. I wonder how these three sisters got on with seven brothers, to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent, uh, Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, I know he said, where the devil did you come from, but we won't put it that way. <laughs> I don't know where these thoughts come for, uh, to me, you know, when I'm speaking. But anyway, where do you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. The Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect, perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself. Put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now just by way of very brief introduction, uh, most biblical, uh, biblical expositors believe that uh, the book of Job is actually the earliest uh, book of the Bible that was written even before the book of Genesis and the Pentateuch. And uh, some have suggested that Moses wrote the book, some uh, Elihu, some have mentioned that uh, Job wrote it himself. And as we look at the events of the book of Job, and we can just touch on some of the main things very briefly this morning as always, uh, it looks like that the events that happened here in the book of Job uh, probably just covered a few weeks or just a few months uh, at the most. And uh, the internal evidence of the book points that it all happened back in the time of the patriarchs. Uh, and uh, so that's the sort of the, uh, the setting there. Most of the preaching, now how many people have heard uh, preaching about Job over your years of being a Christian? Hands up. What is the main thing that you've heard about Job? I said, speak up, I can't hear. Yeah, uh, he's what? Patience, yes, he's patience. How many have heard about the fears of Job? That's, I think of all the messages I've heard about Job is always about his fears and they quote the scripture there in... Uh, which chapter is it? Job 3.25 where he says, For the fear that I feared came upon me, for the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. So most of the sermons I've heard about poor Job is uh, Job was a man full of fear, and uh, you, you get what you fear. If you're frightened of a thing, you fear, uh, you have your fears, these fears will come upon you. Well, I'm not totally sure that I totally agree with that because I've been frightened of getting rich all my life. And it's never yet happened. Anybody ever had that fear? 
So, uh, you know, the, the sermons I've heard about Job, he really gets a bad time. He's always beaten upon and, you know, Job didn't have any faith. He was full of fear. And so everything that happened to him was because of his fear and he just had no faith. Well, I'm going to give you the other side of Job this morning because God picks out in these three men, though Noah, Daniel and Job uh, stood before me, they would only deliver their souls by their own righteousness. So as we're going to look this morning, as we look behind the scene, just from God's viewpoint, we're going to see the tremendous faith of Job, not just his fear. And uh, Job, as we've seen in Ezekiel, is linked up with uh, Noah and Daniel as a righteous man. And he's singled out in the book of James as a man of great patience and great endurance, uh, and this under great suffering. So I want us to look at the patriarch Job this morning and learn, learn some lessons from his life and see why uh, God linked Job up with these three men. Now I have five particular things I want to sort of cover in our time together and I tried a little bit of alliteration uh, last night. Uh, it was a little bit difficult but see how we go this morning. So A, the heavenly scene. Everybody say the heavenly scene. B, the accusing Satan. Everybody say that again, the accusing Satan. Uh, C, the earthly saint. One more time. D, the attacking Satan. And then E, the divine sequel. So how does that sound for alliteration? The heavenly scene, the accusing Satan, the earthly saint, the attacking Satan, and the divine sequel. How does that sound this morning? Everybody got that? I'll say it one more time for Hong Kid who's going to take this back to Malaysia. Okay, so the heavenly scene. We're going to look at the heavenly scene this morning. And then secondly, we're going to look at the accusing Satan. Satan is the accuser of the brethren and the sisters. See the earthly saint, which is Job, here on earth. And then D, the attacking Satan and the attack of Satan on this uh, patriarch. And then E, what's the end of the book? The divine sequel. Now, I want to put on the overhead a diagram that I have used on one other occasion when we're taking another aspect of this. But uh, I believe it'll just sort of help us a little bit here as we uh, look at this picture that we have here. Now, as we look at the scene that we've got in chapter 1, and so I want you to think along with me, folks, this morning. There's a scene that is going on up in heaven. Job is on earth, and Job knows nothing about it. And the scene that we have... As we look on the overhead here, these three men, Job, a patriarch. In heaven we have this scene. We have God on his throne there. And we have a time when the sons of God came together to a heavenly meeting. And uh, most expositors, and I'm not going to take time to try and prove or disprove these things. I want to get to the uh, challenge to our hearts this morning. Most expositors believe that the sons of God were angels angelic hosts. And then, as uh, this heavenly meeting is going on amongst the sons of God up in heaven, the angels of God, Satan comes to the meeting. How many know that Satan never misses a meeting? <laughs> Saints may miss a meeting, but Satan never misses a meeting. Did you know every meeting we have here in Waverly Christian Fellowship, Satan comes? He comes to pray. I better spell it for you looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. <laughs> Satan comes to pray, P-R-E-Y. Ah, oh, okay. Ah, oh, everybody say ah. Oh. Okay. So Satan comes to pray while the saints come to pray. P-R-A-Y. So while you're praying, Satan is praying. Because, and while we're preaching, Satan's praying because he wants to snatch away the word that's sown in our heart. So here's this heavenly scene. So, uh, you know, it's quite evident that God must have revealed this to Job after it was all over, that this is what went on in heaven. So here we have this heavenly scene. Up in heaven, God, angels of God, sons of God, the angelic host coming uh, to worship the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Satan gets into the meeting. I don't know how he got by the ushers, but he got in. He didn't get a visitor's guide. <laughs> That's for sure. Now, down on the late planet Earth, 
we have here Job and Mrs. Job. Uh, in one way, I'm glad God didn't put her name there because if anybody had called his wife's name that, you might have, might have been bad, as we'll see. So we have Job and his household and seven sons and uh, three daughters, Job and his family, the household, and this divine hedge that was put around them. And so as we see, here's God in heaven. Just imagine the heavenly scene here. That's our first part, the heavenly scene. All the angelic hosts on an appointed time gather around the throne of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and began to worship. And as they're worshiping the, the Lord God there, Satan comes into the meeting as an adversary. Now, as the meeting is going on, we find that the Lord said to Satan... How the devil did you get into the meeting? How did you get by the ushers? And Satan said, well, look, and here we have the accusing Satan. I'm just going through, to and fro throughout the earth. And there's some very important theological things here for all of us to remember. Satan is not omnipresent. He has to go to and fro. So when people sometimes say to me, oh, Kevin, the devil's been after me. Look, I said, the devil's too busy to bother with you. He's got certain seats of Satan in certain high places that he just sent a demon with a broken leg after you. So he's too busy to be bothered, bothered with you. So Satan is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. I'm glad for that. And how many are glad that when we speak in tongues, unless it's an earthly language, Satan doesn't know the language? See, speaking in tongues gives us a hotline to glory. And Satan wishes he could cut the line. I wonder what he's saying in tongues. Stop talking in tongues. I don't know what you're saying. But it's just a hotline to the throne of God. Hallelujah. And so uh, the Lord said to Satan, Well, as he said, I just go to and fro on the earth. Have you seen my servant Job? That there's none like him in all the earth? And so uh, Satan challenges God about Job's motive. And this is always an important point for all of us saints. Because uh, Satan said to the Lord, Doth Job fear God for naught? In other words, what, what is Job's motive for serving God? Just because of what he can get out of you? Look what you've done. You've put a hedge around him and around his house. And all that he has, you've put a, a hedge around him and you've blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But Satan hurls his challenge at God. I'll tell you what. You put forth your hand now and touch him, and I'll tell you what, he'll curse you to his face. That's a pretty heavy challenge, and uh, as I was meditating on this again last night and thinking, Lord, what's my motive in serving you? Do, do I just really serve God for what I can get out of him? Why don't you ask yourselves that question, saints, this morning as we share, what is your real motive for serving God? Are you just serving God for what you get out of him because he blesses you and looks after the cat and the dog and the house and, and your job and everything like that, your health? What are we really serving God for? That's the, that's the challenge. So God says, okay, I'm going to take up your challenge. Now, Job knows nothing about this. This is the heavenly scene. He knows nothing about this. So the Lord says to Satan, okay, I'm going to take up your challenge. Everything that he has... I'm going to turn over to your satanic power. Only don't touch him himself. Now what a challenge. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now that's the heavenly scene that we have here. Now, let's look at this because we're going to go to, well, we've looked at the accusing Satan and we'll look at the attacking Satan in a moment. But here is Job on earth with his family and Job is priest in his household, as I believe every father should be. Uh, off, uh, worshipping the Lord and not offering animal sacrifices, but as I've often said when my wife was with me, we took the lamb for our house. And so I was priest in my household, prayed for my kids morning and evening, prayed for my wife, and, and Jesus was central in our house as I exercised my priestly ministry as head of the house, as I believe all fathers should. And that's a challenge to the fathers. Are you fulfilling your priestly function with your wife and with your children? Now, he doesn't know anything about this that's gone on in heaven. And see, the simplest thing would have been for God to have given Job a word of knowledge and said, listen here, Job, 
We've just had a meeting up in heaven with the devil, Satan. And I'm going to let Satan loose on you. It's going to be pretty rough and tough for a while, but just hang in there and she'll be right at the end. Now, if God had given Job a word of knowledge and just told him that this test was going to go, uh, go on and this was going to take place, his motives were being tested, Job could have said, oh, well, thanks, Lord. Boy, I'm glad you, you know, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. I'm glad you told me about that. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known what to do. But God left Job in the dark. God didn't give Job any light. And saints, sometimes God leaves us all in the dark. Why? So that we can trust him. So that we can trust him in the dark. And so now this has taken place in heaven. The meeting's over in heaven. And now Satan comes to the earth. Now, under the accusing Satan here, there's different uh, definitions of the word Satan. And if you're taking down notes, you might like to take down this definition. The word Satan actually is adversary, and it means to attack. So Satan means an adversary, and means to attack or to accuse, to be an adversary, to resist. Another definition is to be an opponent, to oppose and to withstand. Why don't you turn over to uh, Revelation chapter 12, just in connection with this thought here. So Satan is the adversary, he's on the attack, he's an opponent, he's the accuser of the brethren. So Revelation chapter 12, very significant verse in the light of what's going on today. Revelation chapter 12 and verses, uh, I'll read verse 9 through to 11. Revelation 12 verse 9 through to 11. We're talking about this war in heaven between Michael and his angels and the devil and his angels. And in verse 9 it says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. So he's a serpent, old serpent, as old as the Garden of Eden. The devil, the slanderer, telling the truth in such a way as to give the lying impression. And Satan, the adversary, the accuser which deceiveth the whole world. He's the deceiver. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And saints, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And we have to watch this ourselves that we don't take sides with the devil and join the accuser of the brethren. So he's the accuser of, uh, of the brethren and he accused them day and night. Satan never sleeps. God never sleeps. And Satan never sleeps. So day and night, I believe Satan today, and this is not a sermon as we often say, this is actually going on. Satan is accusing us before God. He accuses me. Oh, look at that Kevin Connor. Look how imperfect he is. Look what he says. Look what he does. Look at him. He's not perfect. And how many are glad that Jesus is there as our advocate and our intercessor, our attorney at the Father's right hand, and say, Father, Jesus, uh, uh, Kevin Connor has accepted my blood, and I see him through the blood this morning. He's walking in light as uh, I am in the light, and the blood of Jesus is cleansing from all sin. How many are gl glad this morning that God sees us through the blood of Jesus? Wow, take away the blood, and if God saw us just as we are, we are, not much hope for us. So Satan's hurling accusations day and night, and so here he was in heaven, hurling accusations against Job. Well, look what he serves you for. He's just out to get what he can. You bless him. I tell you what, you take everything away from him, take everything, his possessions, his family and everything, and he'll curse you to his face. That'll show you what his real motive is. Now Job knows nothing of this, so we have the accusing Satan. Now let's come to the, the earthly saint. The earthly saint. And I want you to notice nine things about this man, because just as we looked at the character of Noah as a preacher, and Daniel as a prophet, looking at this man, uh, Job, and his character. And there's nine particular thoughts I'd like you to pick up here. Uh, and this is what God says about Job. Remember, Job isn't giving his testimony and saying, I'm a jolly good fellow, and so says so all of me. Uh, Job's not saying, this is, this is what God says. 
This is God's testimony about Satan, uh, about Job to Satan, pardon me. God's testimony to Satan about Job. I would like God to say this about me, wouldn't you? So number one, God said, have you considered my servant Job? Who are we serving this morning? So Job was God's servant. I am God's servant this morning. How many servants of God here this morning? If you believe, belong to the Lord, all of us should have our hands up. Are you serving God this morning? Hands up. Okay, my servant, serving God. Number two, the second thing the Lord said about him was, there is none like him in all the earth. Wow, that, that's a pretty heavy, heavy word here. None like him in all the earth. This is what God is saying to Satan about Job. Number three, the third thing God said about him, he is a perfect, or the Amplified and the NIV brings out, he's a blameless man. He's a perfect, or he's a blameless man. He's not sinlessly perfect, but he's a blameless man. Nothing to be blamed. So we should live a blameless and a faultless life. And so that's the testimony of the Lord to Satan about Job. Number four, he is an upright man. The Ezekiel passage says he's a righteous man, upright, righteousness, in right standing before God, Kenyon says, is a good definition of righteousness. So he's an upright man. He's walking uprightly. He's a righteous man, faith righteous man before God. Number five, he fears God. The Amplified says he reverently fears God. So good, healthy fear of God, reverently fear of God. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Through the fear of the Lord, men depart from iniquity. So he's a man that feared God, uh, reverently feared God. And then number six, uh, it says he's a man that has choose evil. Old English here, Amplified puts it this way. Let me uh, read it from Amplified. He is a man that abstains from and shuns evil because it is wrong. That's all about it. Why won't you do it? Well, it's wrong. That, that's enough reason. So when it says in the old King James there, he is choose evil, he's a man that abstains from evil and shuns evil because it is wrong. Or it may be appealing to the old flesh and the fallen nature, but he abstains from and shuns evil because it is wrong. That's good enough. And then number seven, God says he's a man of integrity. In Job chapter 2, uh, when Satan comes back to the next meeting, let me read it from Job. Why don't you turn to Job chapter 2 here? Let me pick up the next few verses here. So Job chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. You see, we're dealing with the spirit realm. God is a spirit, angels are spirit, Satan is a spirit. This is going on in the spirit realm. Job knows nothing about this. And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro. Remember the dirty blackbird, the raven from Noah's ark just went to and fro on the earth. From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and has choose evil, and still he holds fast his integrity. Integrity has to do with sincerity, being open, being honest, being transparent before God. No, sh no shadow of deceitfulness. A man of integrity. He still he holds fast his integrity, although you move me against him to destroy him without cause. This is what God's saying. And Satan answered to the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. Putting it in the modern vernacular, the, the strongest law in me, the strongest law in all of us, is self-preservation. And I think a lot of this self stuff that's coming out today, what I call the kingdom cult of self, a lot of this self-image, self-esteem, self, 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 yes, self, a lot of it's coming from this thing, that law of self-preservation. Remember just reading Old Salvation Army hymn, hymn again yesterday where the verses begin. Oh, the bitter shame of sorrow that a time could ever be that I, something forsook my Savior's pity, and it was all of self, but none of thee. And as the Lord began to deal with the hymn writer on this, he said, some of self and some of thee. And as the Lord continued to work on him more, the third verse ends up with, 
less of self and more of thee. But the final verse, he came into total surrender and he said, none of self and all of thee. And so a lot of this self-esteem stuff that's out today, it's rooted in self, not in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Satan is touching the very law of self-preservation, which Jesus touched on. Take up your cross. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Didn't say let him have a good bunch of self-esteem or self-image or self-acceptance or self-importance or self-justification or a thousand one things. There's about 150 of them in, in skin for skin. All that a man hath will he give for his life. But put, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he'll curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, okay, he's in your hand but save his life. Wow. Satan knows, uh, the, Job knows nothing about this. And so a man of integrity, a man who's open and honest, transparent, sincere. Number eight, New Testament shows us, as we read in the, in the book of, uh, of James, he's a man of endurance. The word patience there is literally endurance, and it means to stay under uh, where a person remains to undergo to bear trials and to have fortitude and to persevere. So when we look at the things that Job went through, as we'll see in a moment here, uh, he stayed under, he remained under, he, he went through trials. There was fortitude. Putting it in the modern Australian, he just had some internal guts. Spiritual guts persevered because he doesn't know what's going on. Oh, he says a lot of things as we all would but he doesn't know what's going on in the, in the heavenly scene. And then number nine here, he was a man of faith. A man of faith. Turn over to Job 19. Job 19, just, just one example of the faith, uh, faith of Job. Job 19. Job 19, listen to the faith of Job, and remember, as we'll see in a moment, the, the uh, circle of satanic attack on this man. While he's on the ash heap, scraping his boils, and these uh, terrible sores for, that he's got on his body from uh, head to toe, listen to what he says in uh, verse 25. And we, uh, we just can't, I can't fully imagine it. We can't fully imagine it as he's on the ash heap there, scraping himself of these terrible sores. He says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. Isn't that faith there? And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. That's messianic. That's prophetic of the Lord Jesus Christ. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. I think that's worth a hallelujah, don't you? I know that my Redeemer liveth. So though he's covered with sores, got these friends, he's lost everything, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. In the latter day, in the last days, he's going to stand upon the earth, prophetic of the incarnation, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh, resurrection faith, a glorified body in my flesh, I'm going to see God. I'll see for myself, and my eyes will behold him, and not another, though my reins be destroyed within me. How many think that's the faith of Job? The faith of Job. So he's a man of faith. Saints, let's apply it to ourselves. Are we God's servants this morning? Everybody said amen. I don't know that the Lord could make this of us yet, let alone myself. None like him in all the earth. Do we live a perfect, a blameless life? Are we walking upright before the Lord, living righteously before the Lord, right standing with God, with others? Do we fear God and walk in the fear of the Lord and have reverence for God? Do we shun evil because it is evil? Are we men and women of integrity, sincerity, transparency, walking in the light? Have we got that spiritual endurance that come hell or high water, we serve the Lord? Are we men and women of faith? That's the challenge that Job gives us. Now I want to move on to the next part here, and that's the attacking Satan. And uh, you may not be able to see all this, but I want you to notice that uh, 
Satan's attack. Uh, how many are from Japan here? Any, any brothers and sisters from Japan? Hands up. Can I see anybody? Okay. When we get a Japanese convert, we'll put a flag up here. Someone asked me the other week, said, Brother Kevin, there's a flag missing. I said, what's the flag? He said, you haven't got a, a flag for Israel, a Jewish flag. I said, well, you get me a Jewish convert and we'll put a flag up. Everybody said amen. amen. All right, the Japanese fly, when I was in Japan, they told me about this. It's like some preachers, they tell me. The Japanese fly, how many know what a horse fly is then? How many have ever been on a farm here and you know what a horse fly is? You know, when a horse fly comes in, they come in jab like that and, and you get the point, right? <laughs> Now, a Japanese fly is not like a horse fly. The Japanese fly, it just flies round and round and round and round and round and getting closer and closer and closer until it finishes the circle and then you get the point. Now, some preachers are like that. Now, don't say I'm a Japanese fly, please, okay? <laughs> so the devil was just like a Japanese fly and there's a sort of seven-fold circle that uh, this satanic attack against Job here, and he sort of goes round and round, circle after circle, and he's getting closer and closer because he wants to attack Job. So let's see if you can just pick this, uh, this up here and what I've called, I know it's not very brilliant, but the circles of satanic attack. Now, the first thing he did, and you notice that uh, in Job chapter 1, if you've got your Bible still open there, Job has uh, 500 yoke of oxen and uh, 500, let's see what we got here, 500 she-asses. Now, how many think that's a lot of money involved there? 500 yoke of oxen and 500 lady donkeys. How many would like to have that sort of wealth today? And then he also has 7,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep to have. And then he has 3,000 camels, spitting camels, with their spits and their humps. And then no relationship, but after that he has seven sons and three daughters, a little church in itself. So now what does the devil do in his satanic attack? And I'll come back to that in a moment. How many know that you and I are in spiritual warfare? See, we are in warfare today. When I was in the States last week, I had a great conference there and uh, the dedication of the building I haven't referred to. But uh, talking to one of the ministers in MFI, Ministers Fellowship International, uh, he comes from Florida. And in Florida at the moment, there's just a real satanic attack against churches. And uh, he was away in meeting somewhere and he phoned back to his wife and uh, his wife said to him, come on home quick, otherwise I'll put a bomb under you. And uh, nice wife to have in there, eh? But uh, when he got home, <laughs> he thought it was prophetic because where their church building is, uh, he saw this group of people going out into the woods. The church building uh, is sort of near the woods there. And he followed these people out and thought, there's something mysterious going on here. And when he got out there and they'd gone, they disappeared again, he found this massive pentagon with the goat's head in it and... Uh, as he followed this thing through, he got suspicious and found that there was a bomb that they'd made to blow up his church. And right throughout Florida, the Satanist churches are blowing up churches, burning them down. There's arson going on. There's just a whole satanic attack as the Satanists are praying against churches, praying against Christian marriages and burning church buildings down. Just this whole Florida where there's a whole lot of satanic worship going on and this warfare that's going on. So we're not playing church saints, we're in warfare. And we know it's going on in the Dandenongs, and those of you who saw the television program of the satanic worship and eating of children and sacrificing of babies, this is in our so-called Christian Western society. We are at war, saints, so we're not playing church. And I believe God's challenging us, to, challenging us today. We've got to be sold out for the Lord 100%. Can you say amen this morning? And see, Job is experiencing satanic warfare. He doesn't know this. He hasn't got the book of Ephesians. He doesn't know all this. But he's trusting God in the dark through the thing. 
And so we see this attack that's going on. So first of all, the devil comes down from heaven, Satan, and he stirs up Sabaeans in chapter 1, and the 500 oxen and the donkeys, they're taken away. Then next thing, Satan miraculously causes fire to come down from heaven and burns up 7,000 sheep. And while the first messenger is coming to Job and say, look, we were looking after the oxen and donkeys, the Sabaeans fell on us and took the whole lot, killed all the servants who were looking after the animals, I'm the only one that's left. And he'd no, finish, uh, no sooner finished saying what he had, another servant came and said, look, we were looking after the 7,000 sheep. Fire just came down from heaven and burned up the 7,000 sheep. And while he was yet speaking, another one came and said, look, we were looking after the camels. And all of a sudden, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, uh, the Chaldeans came in in three bands, and they run off with the camels and killed all the servants. I'm the only one that's left. And then while he was yet speaking, another servant came in and said, look, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking, may I say it again, the Bible says, eating and drinking wine. A little bit tipsy there. Just parting up. And a wind, a, a wind just came out of the, uh, the, the, a great wind from the wilderness and hit the house and just destroyed the house and killed all your family. Now, honestly, saints, and I, I, I don't feel I've arrived at this, but I wonder how all of us would handle this. You know, sometimes when we all go through trials, and I know a lot of, a lot of, a lot of us have been through trials, you know, we, we lose our job. We're out of work for weeks or months. Or something goes wrong. And what we go through. And sometimes I've heard younger, younger people, young people say, well, I'm going to give up being a Christian. Lose my job, lose my cat, lose my dog, have a car crash, forget it. What's the good of serving God? Well, this is the issue, saints. What are we serving God for? Are we serving God for what we get out of Him, for what He does for us? Do I love the Lord for what He does for me? Or do I love Him for who He is? What is my motive? And see... As we get older in the Lord, we should say, Lord, give me a pure motive that I serve you if I lose everything. So Satan's coming in like this Japanese fly. Well, what's a few oxen, what's a few donkeys, you know, let's pick up a few more donkeys. Sheep, get them again, camels, but boy, sons and daughters. And I want to honor men and women here in this house that have lost wives or lost children, babies, or lost husbands. And yet you're still in the house of the Lord, serving the Lord. I could, I could name you, but I want to honor you this morning. Because we don't know what goes on up there between God and Satan. Because he hates us. He hates the church. But I want to have a pure motive. I want to serve the Lord just for who he is. Can you say amen this morning, saints? Not for what I get out of him, not for what he does for me. Well, okay, you can handle that. If you've got a good wife, you could have some more kids. Twins, in fact. But now the devil comes again and says, okay, oxen and donkeys, you can pick up a few animal sheep, you can pick up a few more sheep, you can pick up uh, camels anywhere. Sons and daughters, a bit tough, but I'll tell you what, you touch him. Law of self-preservation. And so Satan is given permission from God to go and smite Job with sores, boils. We're told in old King James, sores, painful sores, from head to foot, NIV and Amplified says. Now you put yourself in that scene. You know, we believe in divine healing, divine health. We pray for people, they get sick. And now here I am with boils. Sitting on the ash heap. That's pretty tough. What would we respond? What would be our response? So that was really personal now, you know, that touching us. And uh, the next test now is Mrs. Job. I don't know what her name was. How many are glad her name's not in the Bible? Because you might have a name like that. <laughs> so maybe God thought, you know, they'll be preaching on this later on, so I'll leave her name out of the Bible. So while he's sitting on the ash heap, scraping his boils and all the pus and the filth and everything like that, Mrs. Job comes along and says, why don't you, you're still holding fast your integrity? Why don't you curse God and drop dead? Curse God and die. I mean, what a wonderful wife to have. Say, thank you, darling. I appreciate those words of encouragement. I remember our marriage vows, just beautiful, for better, for worse. 
Well, this is one of the worstest, for richer, for poorer. This is one of the poorer. In sickness and health. Well, there's one of the sickness. Thanks a lot, darling. Let, let me kiss you for that. <laughs> How many would like to have a wife like that? Curse God and die. Oh. I wonder if Mrs. Job's up in heaven. I don't know. He says, you, you speak as one of the foolish women. Wow. And then, of course, to cap it all, the frosting on the cake was Job's three friends. And who wants enemies when you've got friends like that? And they just gobble on and gobble on, and we haven't got time to go. Each of these three friends had a distinctive philosophical viewpoint as to why Job was sick. I haven't got time to give you the three philosophies where they were coming from, but they all had a different philosophy of why Job's sick? So, Satan's a Japanese fly. How many think that? Got the point. I want to bring my message to a practical close here. And uh, I want to finish up on Job's response and then the divine sequel. I'd like you to take these four things down. And this is the faith of Job, and I'd like you to take these four things down, applying it to our hearts. This is the man... That Job was before the Lord. Though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, why did God pick out this patriarch Job? All right, four responses. So the question is, what is Job's response? What should our response be? Number one, Job had a response of worship. A response of worship. Job chapter 1, verse 20 to 22. A response of worship. Listen to it. After all this had happened with the animals, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and uh, sheep and everything, we're told in verse 20, Then Job arose and rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and worshipped, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return hither, thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Oh, yet it was the devil. But he recognized that the devil's under God's control, and Satan can do nothing to us unless God permits him. That's really important, saints, to remember that. Nothing can happen to us unless God permits it. Can you say amen? amen. So the Lord hath gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. A response of worship. Saints, could we do that? I did mention this before. When this little baby just died recently with a young couple we all know, I was so moved to tears as they went and were praying around the coffin there and just worshipping the Lord who had taken the little baby to be with himself. Wow, that made me cry. Response of worship. Number two, second response, and we're all guilty of this one, so don't take it negatively, a response of ignorance yet repentance. A response of ignorance, yet repentance. When God came on the scene in chapter 42, Job 42, verses 1 to 6, we won't turn to it, Job 42, 1 to 6, he said, uh, when God said, what are you talking about, Job? And he said, look, I've uttered words that I didn't understand. I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't understand. But he said, I repent in sackcloth and ashes. I put my hand upon my mouth because God, you know. And many times we say things out of ignorance and the Lord says, listen, you don't know what's going on in the heavenly realm. Try and control your tongue. He did not know that God was permitting Satan to try him to test his motives for serving God. Number three, a response of faith. I've already dealt, dealt with that, but a response of faith. I know my Redeemer liveth, and though worms destroy my flesh and this body, yet in my flesh I'll see God. Job 19, verse 25 to 27, response of faith. And the last one, number four, a response of trusting God in the dark. A response of trusting God in the dark. Put down two references here. Job 13, 15. 
Job 13, 15, a response of trusting God in the dark. And listen to what Job says while he's on the ash heap. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. How many believe that's faith? Even if God kills me, though he slay me, though he take away my life, I'm still going to trust him. And I want you to put down Isaiah chapter 50, Isaiah 50, and verses 10 and 11, or verse 10. Isaiah 50, verse 10 and 11. And it says here, Who is among you that feareth the Lord? And Job was a man that feared the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant. And Job obeyed the Lord, that walketh in darkness and hath no light. So it's a question. Who is among you that fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Yet you're walking in darkness, you got no light. And Job says through the course of his discourse, I'm just in the dark. I don't know, I, light is hid from me. But though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Yet he says, let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay or lean upon his God. And so Job trusted God in the dark. These are tremendous lessons that we learn from Job. I want you to turn to Job 42, the end of the book, the divine sequel. And just one verse here. After God comes on the scene... And says uh, to Job, and rebukes all his friends, said that they hadn't said the wrong thing, but Job, even though he's speaking out of ignorance, God said he's spoken that which is right. And God said to Job, I want you to pray for your friends. How many know when you have friends like that, you really need to pray for them? But the significant thing is this, that when Job prayed for his friends, that had said all they had, chapter after chapter, you know what happened? God healed Job when he prayed for his friends. And you know that's in James 5. If any man sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. If he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. And when Job prayed for his friends, he was healed. Job 42 and verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 she-asses. He got a double portion of restoration of all that he'd lost under Satan. I didn't ever ask on this one in verse 13. He got seven more sons, three daughters. He didn't get a double portion of sons or daughters. Maybe God thought if he has ten more kids, that'll be enough for him. And he saw his sons and his sons' sons to four generations. These three men. How many have been challenged by these series on these three men? Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.